This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by Onyx Hunt. My guest today is Tyler Webster, host of the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Tyler's no stranger to this show or the bird hunting world, and today we're going to talk about his new side gig, starting a Pheasants Forever chapter in North Dakota, why he jumped in, and what he's learned. Plus, we'll discuss what he's seeing for nesting conditions in North Dakota, a golden egg. Mm. And I'm sure we'll ramble on about dream bird hunts and plenty of other nonsense. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. And now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous. And you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Welcome to this week's episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, as always. Brandon Morton is our producer. He is not with us today. Absent without leave, man. Absent without leave. He had something more important to do, Brandon. Uh, Apparently. I, Brandon, come on. You know. Priorities. Hey. Anyway, but the, you're here, Tyler, <clears throat> hey. and you just made my day. I didn't know you were passing through. The second I found yeah. out you were passing through town, I'm like, well, we got to we gotta sit down together and record a podcast. Well, I mean, it was either that or else we just weren't going to get to see each other. I know. This you is know? my I excuse mean, yeah, to that's right. make sure that I got to see you. Tonight. Yeah. How are you? I'm good, man. It's uh, I'm really glad winter's over. It was a long long winter i see you you complain but you, I, I don't feel like you really can you you don't have anything to stand on anymore. i know you for half of it i know and i missed the i missed the worst part of it this year i mean we had a pretty brutal december just i mean like a lot of us yeah. did um we had a pile of snow in north dakota and i was not anywhere near there to even care uh i was down in sunny arizona but i got back the 23rd of January, uh, for my Arizona trip. And the day I got back, I think it was like 36 degrees. And then we didn't have another day above freezing between then until sometime in April. Like the weather yeah. just went to absolute crap well, and it I just mean, hung on for a long you time. You say above freezing, but that's not as bad as above zero. <laughs> right. There are some winters right. where we get stuck in those ruts. <laughs> right. It was a snowy year, obviously. Um, but temperature wise, it wasn't extreme. Yeah, a lot of places across the Midwest. No, I I think the problem is we've kind of just gotten spoiled. I mean, the last I think soft, soft, definitely. I mean, the last few years it's been, you know, by end end of February, early March, uh, we're starting to get some days where it's at least uh, you know above freezing, mid thirties, whatever. Uh, nice enough, at least where you can either go down to the Missouri River Tail Race and go fish for some ling, or 
uh, turkey seasons coming up or whatever. It gives you just kind of that little glimmer of hope. This year, we didn't get that at all. I mean, like we had, I think it was one of the latest ice outs on Lake Skakawea ever. Uh, the ice didn't go off the lake until the first week of May. Uh, what? Yeah. You just got rid of the ice? Yeah. Yeah. Holy like crap. three and a half weeks ago or something like that. Three weeks ago. I think it was like May 4th or something like that. <laughs> so when I was the last day, the day that I filled my two turkey tags, uh, it was like the last day of April. And when I drove back out of the Badlands across the bridge west of Newtown, there was open water to the south for about a mile. And that was it. Um, and then it seemed like it all went out in about four days. <laughs> like It was like, it's here. Now yeah. it's nowhere. It's yeah. gone. Well, let's set the stage here. I'm assuming almost everyone knows who you are, but if not, uh, we, we begin the conversation like brothers that haven't seen each other in a couple of right, days. And right. jump, like as if everyone knows who you are, but most do. Uh, if they don't, Tyler Webster from the Birds, Booze and Buds podcast lives in Northwest North Dakota, one of my favorite places on earth. That dog curled up in the corner happens to be uh, the offspring of two of your dogs. We hunt together all the time, whenever we possibly whenever can. Whenever we possibly Not can. Not nearly enough. No. And whenever we start talking, I feel like um, <clears throat> we we should just have the microphone rolling because like, when we're sitting in the car, we're driving, whatever, catching up. Yeah. Um, it just seems like we touch on things that might be of interest. So, <laughs> like we, we talk... Uh, usually we end up either texting or talking on the phone almost once a week. Yeah. And either we're complaining about the Minnesota twins or the wild, or we're talking about the Vikings or hunting or fishing or what kind of boat I should get or <laughs> like whatever it yeah. is. I mean, like we're always like, we're in touch with each other pretty often, but, uh, we don't get a chance to actually just sit down and have a conversation very often because <laughs> I'm, I'm there and you're here. And, uh, and you it know, seems like when you're in town, I have something that I have to do yeah. or I'm gone or I always, I'm always disappointed. You that. know, so I, I should have thought about it a little bit more. Um, if coming from North Dakota, we don't have a fishing opener. Mm -hmm. It's open <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, so when I plan to come down here and go to a baseball game and hope that my buddy Travis Frank is going to be able to go and check out a baseball game with me. And it's yeah. the day before the fishing opener. And he's yeah. like, no, it's fishing opener tomorrow. <laughs> like it was like, I was like, I, it's the exact same reaction that I have anytime that there's any request to do anything around an opening day of hunting season. Well, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> like, so imagine I, the comparable thing here would be like, uh, you know, opening day <laughs> before, um, you know, pheasant season, pheasant season. Yeah. Yes. And I come up and say, let's go to uh what would be something that we could do up there let's not go and watch a bison game in fargo <laughs> yes, exactly. it's like no i'm not gonna do that you can't do that no right now. Yeah. no i'm and busy i want to invite you to dinner tonight but i am taking my wife to dinner Which, because it's our anniversary you know so, what i hey. mean like it would be she actually she's like make sure you tell tyler i say hello oh please. well and i will tell you that uh you will have a lot nicer dinner and a lot better life if you go to dinner with your wife <laughs> on your anniversary i don't know that, she would like, enjoy having you she might us. Yeah, I mean, I could sit there and uh, pour your wine or uh, club sodas or whatever, <laughs> and uh, and just kind of keep on. I'll, I could just at least give her a lot of ammunition to make fun of you about. But yeah, uh, no, I'm 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 really glad that we just get a chance to sit down and and just kind of catch up for for an hour and mm -hmm. uh, you know 
see what what everybody's been up to. I get to play with your dog and try to ruin her manners and get her to I jump saw, up on my lap. Like you getting her to jump up, and I, <laughs> I didn't ask for that, but I wasn't going to say no because I kind of wanted it. So here's the thing: we've got all these dogs in our office, <laughs> sure. and there's uh, like I don't know six to ten dogs here, roughly. Sure. There's about five that are everydayers. Daisy's one of the everydayers, and she comes in, you know, and waits by the door. Tail gets going like she's ready because she goes into. Uh, Francie's office and then Francie gives her treats and she goes into this one but like she's got some of them are like up 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 oh, and I'm no. like if you keep this up you cannot, I'm not bringing her back in here because she knows what you have she knows the, the run she does the same lap every she's, got she's got a milk route she's got a milk run yes exactly but some of the bad habits and you bring out those bad habits I that. do uh, for sure and I didn't request that she came up on my lap. I just wasn't going to tell her no, Mm -hmm. uh, because I kind of wanted it in the end, but, uh, she is, (laughs) I remember when you first got that dog and you were talking about, uh, you know, you're, what you'd really like is to have like an office mascot, kind of like what Raven was Mm -hmm. like, do you, in uh, your, I think your exact words were, do you think that she'll ever be a dog that I can just take to the office and she'll just behave and, and everything else or take her to an event and she'll sit there. And I was like, absolutely. If you put in the time, However, if you have other bad influences in the office, they will like <laughs> right. they will learn those uh, those traits as well real fast. Well, it's fun having her here, and she has become kind of you know just this little sweetheart around the office because yeah, she minds so well. Yeah, and yeah, she's definitely come a long way in that aspect too. But then some of the other the other dogs that don't necessarily like they bounce off the walls and the, oh, yeah. you know the furniture and everything else too and. So you see the the differences in the dogs, which is also kind of funny. And she just stands there like, Dad, they just don't understand. They're so bad. Dad, look at how awful they are. (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, Hey, congrats on the new boat. Thank you. I'm excited. I haven't even got to set foot in it yet. Uh, However, there is going to be lots of of summer left. And uh, um, when you come up in October, uh, we won't have to worry about asking somebody else to take us fishing <laughs> well, well we catch them offshore though buddy well we did then but yeah. now we won't have to yeah. we'll, we'll run down to scott we and we'll go we'll go jig uh jigging wraps oh, catch gosh. some big old fat ones down so there. i tell people this all the time if there's there's a couple of places that i've been to where it's like the if you can cast and blast yeah um we we filmed a grouse hunt up in ontario on the islands of lake of the woods and it's a phenomenal place to go and disappear in the woods on an island. Get There's a outpost camp up there that we stayed in called the French Portage. That is very high up on my list of <coughs> places that I encourage people to go if you want the cast and blast. Because all the walleyes you can handle literally right off the dock along with smallmouth bass, northern, other species too. But the grouse hunting <coughs> and the woodcock hunting out on the islands there is just... Like, it's just so cool. Sure. I mean, they don't, maybe they don't ever see another human right. because some of the islands don't ever get. There's no population. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the waterfall hunting too. So that's a great place to go for the fishing side of it and hunting trip. And then there's like Sakakawea. Yeah. And that is up high on the list too. Cause if you love the fall walleye bite, you throw a jigging wrap, oh, a wrap of jigging wrap is so dynamite yeah. out there. And the first time I ever saw that work, I mean, we're in like 60, 70 feet of water and you just chuck it because you can throw them a mile and you chuck it up into like eight feet of water and you rip it 
and it flows on the bank and you rip it and it's just yeah. diving down the bank. And then you rip it and it doesn't rip. Yeah. And then you rip it and then on the fall, you just feel this dunk in the line yeah. and you're just like, Zzz! and yeah. there's an eight pound wallet. Yeah. There's a five pound wallet. There's, I mean, it's, it's so like if in a hundred casts, 70 fish, yeah. I mean, it's that ridiculous. Well, and I mean, like you said, it's really easy to target and okay. So I've said for years that I'm a hack fisherman. I've had a boat now for four years and I've started figuring things out because like there's nothing else to do during the summer. I mean, I've always loved to fish, but this is my last boat was my first boat. Uh, and so I never really understood how to find fish or make them bite like day after day after day. Now I do. And like them fall fish, mm -hmm. all you got to do is find like a really, really like shallow water close to deep water on a steep drop mm -hmm. on, on those points and those, those cliffs and stuff like that. And those fish just stack on there. And the other and thing, they're big. they're big and the smallmouth bass. Mm -hmm. That's like the most underrated smallmouth fishery in North America right Definitely. now. Definitely. It is so good. Yeah. And then and big Northerns. Course, yes. And occasionally a salmon. Yes. Or what, <laughs> and what else do you want? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And oh yeah, the migration is at its peak. And there's pheasant hunting along the shore of that lake. Yes. And pheasants and huns and sharp tails. So it and, just makes it like you just, you leave and you're like, okay, there's not enough hours in the day right. and I need to stay for three weeks. Right. You know, for sure. I mean, it is yeah. if, if a person could get there October 1st and stay to Halloween, mm -hmm. you don't have enough hours in the day to do everything that you want to do. You just don't. You don't. I mean, you're up at five o'clock in the morning. You're setting decoys by five thirty, six o'clock. You're in the decoys and in your layout blinds or in your A-frames or whatever it is by 7.15. You're hunting waterfowl until nine. Then you're swapping over and you're putting on your upland pants and you're chasing sharp tails, huns, and pheasants. Then the, later in the afternoon, if you're, if you're not already tired or in the evening, you can go and either catch walleyes offshore like we did last year or mm -hmm. take a boat out. Mm -hmm. Then there's sandhill cranes. Then there's this and then there's that. And then you can run down to the Missouri River and go chase salmon and big trout. And, and it's like – Too much? Yeah. If October yeah. was three months long, I wouldn't survive. Yeah. It's just there's – from – five o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. A lot of, there's a lot of nights in October where it's after 10 o'clock before I get my dogs fed, the birds cleaned, fish cleaned, stuff put away, repacked for the morning. Occasionally a person has to do laundry. Uh, I mean like, like how you, often do you do laundry? Well, I, I, everything that I own is black. <laughs> so, uh, like I have a whole closet full of black t-shirts and when I start seeing like three or four, right now. I am. Yeah. yeah. When I have like three or four left, it's like, it's getting critical. <laughs> yeah. I mean like you could, I can wear a pair of hunting pants for a week. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't bother me a bit. It's funny. Uh, yeah. Well, like I do my own laundry and I, it just piles up. And once I reach this max point, it runs the, the day that I go do the laundry is when I'm out of underwear. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. That's what gets underwear me and socks. Yeah. I will never wear a pair of socks twice. I'll never wear a pair of underwear twice unless yep. I absolutely have to. And yep. I have been there, but I'm great at doing laundry. Awful at putting it away. Uh, I can put it in the washing machine. I can put it in the dryer. And then after that, it's just taking it do out of the dryer and putting it, it on the hamper or uh, the, do you call it a hamper? I do call it a hamper. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I'm glad. Yeah. That's that. Okay. So yeah. Do you leave it just all 
I don't even take Rat it up. I don't even hamper. take it out of the damn dryer. Come on, you it just, just stays in it. the dryer. And then before I'm going to put something on, I'll put it on fluff so for like lazy. five minutes while I'm jumping in the shower, and I'll let it tumble for a second. Yeah. And I just put it on, and then when I take it off, it goes right into the washing machine. I can't do that with all the kids running <laughs> you around. You can't. You I got can't. too much laundry. There's that, too that's much produced. laundry going on. But out yeah. of all the loads, there's like you know, let's say a hundred loads, I have like one or two. <laughs> right. And, you know, right. I mean, and right. it's only because I run out of underwear. If I get more underwear, I. You know, that's the way to do it, man. You know, I got, I got enough pairs of underwear for a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The thing about when you get dirty and muddy in the field is if you wear it long enough, it actually dries off and falls off. off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you don't really have to really. No. And as long as you're wearing underwear, your pants don't start to smell. That's right. So, I mean, unless socks, that's what gets every man to the, to the washing That's right. That's Ah. right. Yep. What? How do we get, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So, yes, why Sakakawea? Yes. <laughs> cast and Blast. Hey, oh, yes. Yeah, oh, you cast bought a boat. Yes. You bought a boat. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, and fishing is good. Fishing has been unbelievable this year. So, the North Dakota Game and Fish came out with, uh, they put out this webcast every week, uh, or I think it's every week. But, anyways, they were talking about the population of walleyes in Lake Sakakawea. Last summer was, and this might have, direct correlation with the fact that in the last four years, I've just became a much better fisherman. Oh, they're um, seeing a drastic dent in the population. No, they're seeing a drastic rise in the population. <laughs> so it is what it, and so now it's got my, my self-confidence dashed a little bit where it's like, am I actually getting better at this or are there just that many more fish? Yeah, in the there's so, that many more fish. Right. Yeah. So, uh, they came out with their Creole survey here just a couple of weeks ago saying that, Last, I mean, last year I had multiple hundred fish days, multiple. I mean, hashtag like, break, fish right. break, walleye yeah. break. But honestly, mm-hmm. you could have put a hot dog on a plane hook and drug it behind your boat. You would have caught walleyes last that's year. That's kind of what it I assumed great. when I saw all the pictures. But that's like, pretty much what I was doing. do it, it's got to be out of Oscar Mayer wieners and a yeah. slip bobber, man. No, uh, but so last year was unbelievable. Best year of fishing I've ever had in my life. They say that this year there's actually more population and they're bigger. So like. Last year, we'd catch a lot of 13, 14, 15, 16-inch walleyes, and we'd sort through them, and we'd keep the 18s, 20s. Those are the ones that I like to keep. Honestly, the 15, 16s are probably the best-eating walleyes mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. But I want to put some pounds in the freezer because I have a lot of friends that come up, and we'd like to have fish fries during the during the fall. Um, they said, and, and I've seen it this year. I've been out uh, – I think I've probably fished eight or ten times already this year. We've had a hard time catching one under 16 inches. Like there's all those fish that were smaller last year are in that 18 to 20 inch range this year and they are hungry mm. and there's a lot of them. I don't know how you can freeze a fish and then bring it out and eat it. <sighs> you know, I am such a f- walleye snob. Yeah. I really am. I even frozen a fish in <sighs> 30 years. That's I good. won't keep it if I know I'm not going to eat it before it would spoil. So, I have a five day period. Sure. And sure. after five days, I need it's either need to be eaten or frozen. So I haven't bought yeah. any meat in a grocery store in two years. None. Zero. Uh, so I go through seasonal. You're so self-sufficient. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, other than vegetables. Sure. Uh, like I, I'm not a good gardener at all. You could all. grow a heck of a garden out there. I could. No shade ruining it. I know. I could. But uh, so I end up getting. When I move out, we're going to have the biggest garden. Absolutely. My wife is going to love that. As long as she wants to run it, I'm fine. I want to go fishing I and put kids, fish in the I freezer. Kids to weed it. That's right. Yeah. Hey. Uh, but. <laughs> but so I, I don't, you never get tired of walleye. You just don't. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. But when I, I go fishing two or three days a week and when I get home, I have, I'll take out like two or three fillets. I'll eat them that night. 
I'll freeze some. And the thing that has made it so nice is that Walton's chamber sealer. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't get stale. They, I mean like it is a game changer. It is. So the freezer burnt on fish is what ruins that. So is what we always did growing up is we just freeze it in water. Yep. Like you'd put it in in water in a Ziploc. Cool whip container. Yes. Freeze it in water. Or the the old milk cartons. Yeah. We used to do that too. Yeah. But if you freeze it in water, it's actually stays pretty well. Um, I still don't, I still think it's not new. It's a different food group once it's frozen. You put, you put shore lunch on it and dip it in hot oil. I'm all over it, man. So, um, yeah, I still eat it. Sure. But, you know, like if somebody orders a walleye in a restaurant, it drives I just me laugh. Crazy. I'm like, yeah, that's good for you. I can't do it because it's not. And again, I I realize that I'm sounding like a snob here. So, but, <laughs> but it's only because I'm so spoiled to have good fishing. Sure. You know, and so sure. I only keep what I'm going to eat and I only keep it if I know that I can. My, uh, my grandma, my grandma's 88. She's going to be 89. Uh, in June. And I told, I had to tell her a couple years ago, I said, do you know what the greatest insult of all time is for me? And she said, what's that? I said, when I take you out to a restaurant, you order walleye. (laughs) And she said, what do you mean? I love walleye. I was like, I know I have walleye. I will bring, I will even cook you walleye. And she's like, yeah, but sometimes like walleye in a restaurant, she's like, I just think it's the greatest thing ever. And I was like, it's awful. It's inedible. (laughs) It's not the same. It's like, Like, it's, it's chicken. It's like fish sticks or something, you know, it's it's, not the same. No. But I will say, so the, that Walton's chamber sealer is the bomb. And when you lay the walleye fillets in there nicely, it's like the greatest gift. So yes, I like to keep a couple of extra fish from time to time. So you're I have giving some, you're giving subpar walleye in your opinion to people that you're trying to trying to sneak in on their subpar. You no uh, your words. Thing. I didn't say no. No, I don't freeze it. <laughs> I give it to them fresh. Oh, I don't freeze it. I, I say I just caught this this morning. Oh, I Would see. Would you like to have it for dinner? You know, and then drop I it see. off, and it's already it's in this nice package. It's beautiful, beautiful fillets. Yeah. Like it is. Part of the key to maintaining great relationships with landowners is to um, show your appreciation. 100%. You know, and so just that the other day. But I've never had a landowner that was upset that I brought them frozen walleye. Right. So. I know. I, I agree. <laughs> but it's even better if you do it fresh. Sure. And they say, oh, like there's that extra, they perk up a little bit. Ooh. There's that inflection in their yes, voice. Yes. Yeah, I just caught be. it today. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm going to have it for dinner tonight yeah. then, or tomorrow. I'll get it in the refrigerator. I end anyway. up, I end up having to rotate my freezer. So like my, my, my standard diet for a week is I will have deer meat and I'll make enough for like two days. Then I'll have some sort of an upland type bird or maybe duck, but usually an upland type here. bird. Yep. Then for two days, and I always cook enough to eat for two days because I'm a single guy and I want sandwiches the next day. Mm. Uh, so you don't reheat though; you eat it cold. Yes. Oh, cold fish sandwiches, unbelievable. The best. Don't reheat it. No, a little bit of lettuce and Thank some. You. And, and Thank you. We okay, are brothers. Here's the question yeah. though: Do you like Miracle Whip on that sandwich, or do you like squeeze bottle tartar sauce, or do you like mayo? Ooh. Any cheese or lettuce? Lettuce and cheese both. Okay. Yep. Mm, see, I don't like a lot of sauces because I like the flavor of the meat sure. itself. So I sure. sometimes we'll go with none. 
but a little lemon juice, maybe. Yeah, a little lemon. A sandwich just isn't a sandwich without the tangy zip of Miracle Whip. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Miracle Whip has to be Miracle Whip. Yeah. Like there are two people. When people say mayo, I'm like, what is that trash? What yeah, are you it's even awful. Talking about get no, out of here. Miracle Whip. Yeah. Hundred percent. It has to be Miracle. Yeah. Whip. And then once in a while, you can do a little tartar sauce for like that extra little pickle in there. But why don't you just put the pickle? Just in put there? the pickle on the sandwich. Yeah. yeah. We're not it's fancy. Like, so that actually is exactly the same thing I'll do with a pheasant. Mm. So I'll make. An extra, if like I'll make a couple of breasts or whatever, you know, sure. breasts or legs or whatever. If it's leg day, you know, we'll have, you know, but like when, when you make that same sandwich, Miracle Whip with some cheese and lettuce in a sandwich the next day, mm-hmm. it's like a chicken patty yeah. you had at school, but yeah. it's way better. And you shot yeah. the thing. There's, uh, there's, I could care less about Thanksgiving dinner. What is wrong with other you, than Get out of here. Get the out turkey of here. sandwiches the next day? Turkey sandwiches pretty good, the next so day, the with, day with the cold uh, stuffing. Yeah. Oh. oh. All right. All right. All right. Focus. Yeah. I'm sorry. You are hungry. now. Congrats on the vote. Thank you. <laughs> I'm yes. excited to pitch in the yes. vote. Um, you're the president. Yeah, I am. Uh, which, so just to be real clear, I didn't start the chapter. Oh, at okay. all. So okay. I had seen uh, some some emails and stuff like that from Pheasants Forever and some stuff on social media that they were trying to start a Pheasants Forever chapter in Minot, which for the life of me, it couldn't, it didn't make sense why there hadn't already been one. Right. I was actually, like, when you told me you're the president, like, how is there not a, I thought, I just assumed there was one there. It was mind blowing to me. So uh, it was the only big city left in North Dakota that didn't have a Pheasants Forever chapter and big city in North Dakota. There's 50,000 people there. That's uh, pretty good size. It's pretty good size. Yeah. Um, so... I'd been seeing this stuff and they were having uh, a meeting and I was going to go to the meeting. Uh, I just wanted to see what they were doing, what they were planning, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but however you want to look at it, uh, I ended up showing up on the night that they were picking officers. And was it Renee? Was she in charge? Renee was running the, was running Renee the, Tamala. Yeah. was Emily there? Uh, Emily was not there then, okay. but she did come up for our first event. Okay. Um, and, so Renee, at the end of the end of the meeting, she's like, so does anybody want to submit their own name for president? And nobody raised their Crickets. hand. Crickets. And you're the tallest guy in the room. So naturally you. No, me knowing Renee, she's like, oh. well, I nominate Tyler. <laughs> I was like, God, <laughs> just wanted to come to a meeting. Uh, so anyways, a um, bunch of people put their hands up. Uh, I, wish you, and, I wish people could have seen your squirm right Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I got trapped. Uh, but, um, I was happy. Like, honestly, I've, I'm in a little bit of a unique, uh, situation opportunity where I can, uh, I can, I can do things, um, with that. And I have enough time where I can actually afford the time to, to try to do some things. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) honestly, uh, we had a meeting planned for last week and there was a couple of people that couldn't make it. We ended up, re- we were going to reschedule it for this week sometime. We never set a date and time. And apparently they had their meeting last night and they called me and they're like, are you coming to the meeting? And I was like, I'm almost to Fargo. I'm not going to like, anyways, we're just trying to plan for our next event or whatever. And they asked me if there was anything that I wanted to bring up and I, you know, whatever. But, um, so end up getting voted in and we, I told everybody that, well, first of all, I asked if they were going to have quarterly elections, uh, or if it was like a life sentence. <laughs> um, but, uh, how long am I signed up? For right, it? right. 
Um, but then we started kind of trying to work on, you know, mission statement, like what we want to accomplish as a chapter for the Sir Valley Peasants Forever chapter in Minot. And I said, well, if I'm going to be the president of this thing, I said, these are my two main focuses. Um, obviously, Pheasants Forever mission is habitat driven. Uh, another part of their mission is the R3. Uh, and so my mission is going to be introducing kids, taking kids pheasant hunting over dogs for like our youth season. We're going to have break them up with mentors, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be one kid per one mentor per one dog. Um, there's, we're going to try to keep, we're going to, the night before we're going to have a how to shoot over dog safety class, how to approach a dog on point, what to look for in the dog, how to read the dog, all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be sometime in September. Um, the other thing that we're going to work on with the money that we raise as a chapter is, um, obviously habitat's great. Uh, but one of the things that I see even out in my neck of the woods is it's getting harder and harder to find permission on land. And so the money that we're going to raise as chapters and the habitat projects that we're going to do are only going to go to the landowners that already allow public access. So either like plots, plots, unposted, whatever. Uh, if we put something together, we're going to try to put up, uh, put some sort of a pheasants forever sign up, you know, however, however we end up doing it in the future. Yeah, but don't you have to adhere to certain state rules sure. or pheasants forever rules on, on how the funds get allocated or how does that as a chapter we get to decide what we do with our own money which okay. is one of the things about pheasants forever that i really like so everything that we raise locally stays local so um our first event we had a pint night at buffalo wild wings uh my cousins actually end up they own the buffalo wild wings minot they were they hosted it for us um i got a hold of you guys you guys sent us up some hats and t-shirts onyx sent up a bunch of membership cards we ended up getting 500 gift card five 100 gift cards from shields and minot we ended up putting together a table bigger than this table that we're sitting at full of prizes that we didn't pay a cent for as a chapter that were just all donated to us. And we did, um, just raffles, just raffles. We had a kid's table with fishing poles, a bunch of other stuff that we had again donated. Um, and we ended up raising, uh, just about 4,000 bucks. We ended up picking up, uh, I think 40 new members nice. at the first event. Uh, and so, the money that we make in that, we get to decide what we want to do with that for our next event. So with our next event, we're going to have some sort of a youth shooting event, um, whether it's going to be we're either like in the future, we're going to sponsor a local scholastic shooting team or whatever it might be. But um, we're going to have something out at the Minot Gun Club or someplace that'll host a bunch of kids. Hopefully we can get a bunch of kids and then um, do some shooting lessons, do some, uh, gun fitting, do all that kind of stuff. And just try to get the thing that worries me. And I know I'm going to sound like an old guy here because I'm starting to be an old guy, just like you are. Uh, it scares me a little bit watching, uh, kids not want to be outside anymore. Like when I was a kid, I did not want to be inside. inside. I hated being, inside. I hated still being to inside. this day. Me too. Yeah. Um, and so we're, and the real problem is that we're just competing with a really busy, active, hectic world. So whether it's, you know, all the soccer or T-ball or whatever it might be. Screens. Definitely screens are the worst thing that we can possibly compete Paid with. Screens. Yeah, because it's it's just an attention-stealing time thief. But I want to really try to focus on getting more and more kids involved, even though I don't want to have kids myself ever, period. Uh we have to start getting more kids involved and the way that we're going to do it is going to be, uh, through 
Some just, little filly is going to win your heart over absolutely someday not. and change your mind. Zero chance. Uh, but if you involve dogs and being outside with other people, other kids, shooting, whatever it might be, maybe we can still salvage, like, like start pulling some of these kids and getting them to disconnect a little bit. And we can start, instead of having them staring at their phones, we can start teaching them how to shoot trap and do pollinator programs or whatever it might be. So, uh, that's, that's going to be a main focus. I think you're going to find, and I'm seeing some of this already, but well, in the high school system, the trap leagues that I wish those existed when I was a kid. They didn't exist when we were in school, but they're exploding the popularity. There's something about pulling the trigger on a shotgun and watching a clay target explode in the air that when a kid does that, they're like, Ooh, that's cool. I want to do that again. Mm I want to do it again and again and again and again. There's also something cool about watching a dog that it doesn't matter how old you are or young. Right. When you see a dog out there hunting and the dog locks up or or a flushing dog. Yeah. hundred percent. Like there's something about that. That's different too. Yep. But they just have to experience it. They right. have to see it before they'll ever know that they I that think, it even exists. I think that if you can get I, I don't I have no idea what the percentages would be, but say you take a hundred kids and you give them that experience, I would bet there's gonna be a very high percentage of that hundred kids that's gonna want to try it again. As long as you give them a positive experience in uh, you know, with other kids and in a safe setting and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I just can't imagine that 90% of those kids that go aren't going to want to try it again. Right. You know, I mean, like it's just, it's one, it's just getting them there. Yep. The rest of it will take care of itself. I mean, you just have to get them out of the house and get them there. I love my dog. And like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential, Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. 
Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. There's so many things as a parent. There's so many things that we fight for that time to do it. Sure. Like I'll say, for instance, this happens seven days a week almost with my kids. Um, one of them would want to go like my oldest. We just went fishing the other day. He's like, Dad, when can we go catch more walleyes again? Right. And that was the very next day afterwards. But we have to try to even things up with all the kids that have all these other activities and amongst everything that we're doing as a family and be there for my one-year-old and my wife. And I mean, there's so many things. So it's like, you have to create that time. And if I, if it's a three hour window, mm -hmm. I don't want to lose that three hours. Cause that's just an opportunity to be out there. Maybe it's taking Daisy for a run you sure. know? or maybe it's going to catch walleyes or maybe it's uh, sitting on the sitting. hammock with my other son who just right. loves to be outside reading a book mm -hmm. and I have to slow down and read the book. So it's just being present in those different situations to keep growing those opportunities. I think you're going to see though, that you plant this seed. Now it needs to keep, you got to keep watering the right. seed for the plant to grow. Right. That's where you're, you might, your heartbreak could come in is like, sure. you don't have enough time to take and continue all these kids. Definitely. Yeah. But like out of those hundred kids, we don't need all hundred of them to come back. We need, we want to give them a positive experience uh, that maybe, maybe they don't do it all the time, but it's something that it, it's a good memory for them, mm -hmm. right? But maybe out of that hundred, maybe there's only the 10 that really dive headlong into it. And then the rest of them are just kind of ambiguous. Like they're kind of in the middle, Yeah. but it's, at least it's not a negative. Correct. Like, I mean, like there's never going to be if it's a one, time. That's great. I right. Mean, if it's one, yeah. exactly. Um, it's, it's just, it's one of those it's going things to be more than one. It's definitely going to be, mm -hmm. but, uh, I have to give a lot of credit to, um, the Delta waterfowl, um, in North Dakota. They have big youth hunting events every year. I've been a member of Delta for a long time and it's two mentors with the decoys and everything else. And they take out one kid a piece and they'll end up with 20, 30 kids and they'll just find enough mentors to do it for the youth season. And that's what we want to do with the upland Are stuff. Are you going to take well. them on wild bird hunts? Absolutely. See, yep. that's where I think there's something, because there's a lot of chapters around the country that do youth hunts, you know, and they'll get a mm -hmm. bunch of kids in a line and they'll walk through and they're planted birds and stuff, which I don't want to do any of that. Well, and there's, you know, there, you can look at, they'll tell you that there's statistics would say it's good for this or whatever. Sure. Like they've learned things that way too, or that might be what's available. You're fortunate because you're in a region right. where you have a lot of birds. Right. So to be able to do that is not something that everybody can. Do. No, but the other thing too, though, that I think is important is that I don't want big groups. It's just like kids and teachers with kids in a classroom. One teacher can't, cannot handle 20 kids. Um, so we have to have enough mentors to, t I want to take them out one-on-one. -on -one. And while we're walking across the prairie, I want to try to explain to them why the pheasants are here at this point of the day, but maybe not at this time of the day, or this is what they're eating or, um, you know, open up a crop on a bird and find, sure. you know, if it's a sharp tail, find rose hips and kind of explain all that kind yep. of stuff. 
while like it's almost like an outdoor classroom, but it has to be done one on one. That's more organic. That's the way a lot of us were raised. That's the way our dads or grandpas or uncles or aunts or moms or whoever took you out for the yep. first time, your neighbor, they did it most likely one on one. And so if you can do that now, I think your challenge there is right. mentors. mentors. Yeah. Um, thankfully I am not above shaming people into doing things, <laughs> which is why, uh, which like, is why you've been chosen am, as the press. Per, per, perhaps, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to shame, uh, my friends, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, uh, or whatever the case may be. Um, we bribes have, also work. bribes may also work. Um, we have, um, the North Dakota game and fish has a youth pheasant season that starts one week before the North Dakota resident opener. So, that weekend before we can't shoot pheasants at all kids can so that's that opportunity for us to you know we're not taking away as for the mentors we're not asking them to sacrifice their own time in the field because most people don't get as much time in the field as they want Mm -hmm. to take a kid that maybe they're not related to or maybe don't even know out to do something and you know but with that opportunity of the youth season we're not actually asking him for that. In fact, I can even sell it as we're just using it as a tune-up for your dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the nice thing about kids, one of the great things about kids is that they're inherently curious. So if you take a kid out hunting and you're driving from spot to spot or you're walking across the field, they're going to ask a ton of questions. And that's your opportunity to really set the hook. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if they're curious from the, like, asking questions about where we're, what we're looking for, why the, you know, whatever it might be, if they're curious enough to ask questions, you got them. Like they're they're interested. Now you have an active and if it was up to engaged, me, engaged yeah. engaged audience. Yeah. If it was up to me, I wouldn't allow them to bring their cell phones with. Yeah. Uh, like I think that that's uh, I would really highly I'm, and I will put it in these terms when I'm trying to get kids and their parents to sign up. I encourage you to leave your cell phone, iPad, whatever it is, at home. I will bring mine in case we need to call in case we need to call something, but just kind of immerse yourself in this, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be. I hope you succeed with that. I hope so. And I mean, like it's a lot easier to try to do stuff like that where I am than it is in a lot of places. Because first of all, a lot of the kids that you're going to, that we're hopefully going to get for these events are already, they have friends and family that already hunt. They have, they're not, they might live in town, but they're inherently kind of rural mentality people. Uh, so they're, they are, it's not that we're trying to keep, pe- keep people from being like anti hunters. Cause that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but we just kind of want to start nudging them a little bit more into being a little bit more active into the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we have just based on geography, I think that we're going to have a lot higher chance of being able to start mentoring those, those people that are going to go forward and in, into a, more active outdoor life. Yeah. I, I'm really excited about this for yeah. you. I hope, I don't think you're going to have trouble finding the kids. I hope that you shame enough volunteers to showing up. Yeah. I um, mean like, and if we do have to take two kids and one, one yeah. mentor, I mean like we can adjust that on the fly, but I mean the core group of our, of our chapter, you know, just planning the, the pine night we had between eight and 15 active members coming every night that we're pulling in donations and everything else. Okay. So if we get 10, 10, 10 people, 15 people yep. for the first year, and then hopefully it just keeps on growing, you know, if we can just keep on, you know, we, we're not asking, we're not asking the world. We just want one day. 
mm-hmm. one day. That's yep. it. You take yep. one day, one Saturday, one Sunday, and what, whatever the case may be, and and take somebody that you probably don't know hunting. Yeah. Um, so you just launched this chapter. How many members do you have now? You said you gained 40 that night? We gained 40 that night, and I think there was... 50 or so that had signed up and been to some of the meetings prior. So up to um, like 90 now? Yeah, probably 90, 100. Okay. Um, there's a, a real good core group of active members, though, um, you know, 15, 16, 20 people maybe okay. that are really active. Um, yes. And that's kind of how those things work. I mean, I've been a, cha- a, a member of the Delta and I've been a member of Pheasants Forever, but I've never been active. I would go to the banquets. I would provide money. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how it goes. But if you have 15 or 20 people that are active to start Mm -hmm. that's a that like that's a big hurdle i mean just getting to that i mean it's you know i got i know the vice president as well he's he was the president of the nabda chapter out there um so having that good core group i think it'll go a long ways nabda or navda nabda i don't know i (laughs) i i I mean you're that's West a good River, one. So it's that's, different out there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. a eight pointer. It's not, I was just going to say, it's not an eight pointer. It's a four <laughs> by four. Um, so I think, you know, as a president, your responsibilities go beyond individual one-on-one conversations and experiences with the kids. I mean, yeah. I think your goal is to hopefully keep those, that core group of volunteers engaged, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm excited to kind of follow this journey with well you. i remember when i said here just a few minutes ago that i'm not afraid to shame people into doing yeah. things I uh, shame them to leave I, I'm, I'm gonna shame you into coming out and emceeing our first <laughs> our first banquet is what i'm gonna do i'll do it you and franzen <laughs> yeah yeah get scott yeah you know that's the thing i've told him many times i get i do go i know you MC do banquets i know you do and i'm like scott get out there you know what the heck like i can't do all of these banquets and bob st pierre he does a bunch of I know Clay, he, does. he does a bunch. I mean, like the, we all try to do what we can, but it's like, sure. if there's 17 banquets on the same Saturday, we right? each only right? do one of them. No, I have no Scott. problem. I have no problem shaming friends and into do doing it. it. If you're already taken. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, I hope that you get a big support from the community. I know once you start doing those bigger banquets yeah. too, and you know, all of a sudden the funds come in and allocation and where do we go with it? And I think, you know, maybe there's other listeners that are presidents of theirs sure. that have learned. I've already lessons. been, had a lot of people already reach out to me. That are, okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That'll know, you know, here's why I went wrong. Avoid sure. this or this works really well. Um, because yeah, once you're, once you're up and rolling and, you know, a lot more of your time gets sucked, right? you know, that's where you, you can lose. I I made uh, it real clear that I'm very happy to uh, happy to help. Uh, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. I'm going to be kind of an absentee president. September, October, November, December. Yeah, like that's just kind of how it goes. And I think that that's uh, that's you know with most of us that are passionate about something like that, mm-hmm. um, it's I'm I'm okay going to a meeting or whatever, but I'm not planning a bunch of big events that time of the year because that's the time of the year that we're trying to. Is that pretty you know, common though around the country for different chapters where they have the during hunting season? It's a, kind of a little bit of a take a break and then sort of up. I mean, um, the chapters outside of like South Dakota and Kansas, mm-hmm. maybe Nebraska. I just don't know a lot of chapters that put on their banquets during hunting. Season. Right. Sometimes it's a banquet to kick off like the night before opener. Right. Which I don't even want to do that. 
Uh, I understand that you'll you'll end up gaining some uh, some of the non-resident uh, support, other chapter members, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think winter is banquet season. Like it's just the way that my brain works. I mean, all the all you know, winter and spring. Yeah, winter and spring. There's um, it gets it gives us something to be uh, excited about after the hunting season's done. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's the middle of February, it's cold. You haven't been thinking about pheasants for a month and a half in North Dakota since the season's been closed. It's like, Hey, let's throw on our, our blaze orange and, and go and, and you know, I, it, for, it's a lot more fun for me. Yeah. Also, if there is one chapter, I, I can't remember where it's at, but I think they host their, their banquet the night before pheasant opener. And that sounds exhausting to me. <laughs> like, I mean, you want to, do you want to get up and go hunting the next day or do you want to stay at the banquet and have way too much to drink and spend a pile of money? Cause yeah. I, I mean, I am down to do both those things, but I don't want to go hunting the next day. Right. Uh, you know, it's just, it's that's hard. why you can't hunt till noon on opening day in South Dakota. In South Dakota. That's not the way it is in my state. Yeah. <laughs> we got a half hour before sun up. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I wish you well. Thank you. I will definitely come out and do what I can to help. I enjoy helping. I think when people volunteer, and this is what I've learned, it's you, you, yes, you're helping other people, but like you in turn, it, it blesses you. Definitely. You know, whether it's, you know, like somebody going on a mission trip or something, they always come back and they tell you about how it changed their life. Sure. They went out to try to help somebody else or, you know, but it ultimately affected them. Any volunteer that you do in, like this role, you'll see how it changes your other chapter members, their lives, sure. and then the kids. And I hope it's I hope it's a rich experience for you. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I really am, and I'm really happy with the group that we have. Um, we've only had the one event so far. We're going to try to start planning another youth uh, or a, a youth shooting event here sometime throughout the summer. Uh, I am in a position where I can reach out to some people in the outdoor industry to either get stuff there for. Uh, whether it would be youth guns or shells to help support or whatever it might be. Yep. I'm trying to get uh, Dave Miller from CZ to come up and do an exhibition and some shooting lessons for kids and all that kind of stuff. So I have no problem leveraging some relationships to yeah. like, if they want to come up during hunting season, guess what boys and girls right. <laughs> get your butt up here in July. Cause we got stuff to do. Yep. Uh, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a worthwhile organization that I've been happy to support for a long time. I love their mission and it's, the way that they run their local chapters is so it's perfect. I mean, if we're, if you want the community to support something, mm -hmm. the community needs to decide where it spends its money. And there's other charitable organizations out there that don't do it that way. Um, you know, and having, if you have a banquet and you make a bunch of money and now you're supporting a couple of youth shooting teams or, uh, you're providing, um, access and improving habitat on private land around the state. I think that it's something that people can get behind. Yeah. And I mean, it depends on the chapter too. There's some near my hometown here that they've been purchasing chunks of land and it continues to grow this right. area that's becoming a legitimate hunting location. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the amount of work that goes into it, I think when people show up to their one banquet of the year and, yeah. and they, they go home. They do not realize how no. much goes into it. No, we need those people too. Uh, but, yep. uh, you know, and I'm, I can't say enough about, uh, like Emily, who's now, uh, in charge of pheasants state forever coordinator, and right? state coordinator yep. in North Dakota. 
um, Renee, uh, there's another guy uh, who's active in our chapter also. He's from Minot. His name's Warren. Uh, he's a, a targeted ag specialist and all that kind of stuff. So the, the work that they're doing and the, they're all so passionate about it. So, I mean, like they're, uh, they're going around all these chapters and they want to make sure that the chapters succeed and they're happy to give guidance and help and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, it's pretty awesome. Cool. Very cool. All right. It's nesting season. It is. And people want to know <laughs> me. Sure. <laughs> I sure. want to know what's happening out there. So maybe other people do too. If sure. I so I was a little nervous. Um, like we were talking about before we turned the mics on, it was a pretty tough winter. Uh, I mean, it was, it was North Dakota every once in a while has to remind us where we live. Same thing here in Minnesota. You guys had a pretty tough winter too. Uh, but it seems like the birds came through it pretty well. And I'll attribute that to, uh, warmer than average January. So we had a lot of snow in December. It was brutally cold. Uh, January comes all of a sudden it's up into the thirties and even the forties. And it's knocked that snow down, started opening up some, some spots in the, in the ag fields for the birds to get to food. And then it was pretty darn nice. Uh, I mean, it was cold, but we didn't get a ton of snow until later in the spring. But I was still a little bit nervous that there was some some uh, winter kill. Uh, and I'm sure there was some, but uh, the sloughs are refilled from the snow. We've had good rain this spring. Um, the weekend, actually, that I was down here for the Twins game, uh, we had like a five-inch soaker over three days. Oh, wow. Um, so since the first of May, we probably had 10 inches of rain. Wow. Uh, and it's been one of the mildest, warmest Mays that we've had. So the grass is growing like crazy. There's tons of bugs. Um, so the nesting conditions are good. Mm -hmm. Uh, the question comes in as to what the physical shape of the birds coming out of the winter is. If they've, if their body bodies are in bad shape, they may have smaller clutches of birds. Um, but there's plenty of birds that, that are there where if the nesting covers, the nesting covers good, I think it's going to be a good year. What are you seeing right now as far as birds on the landscape? You're seeing more than you thought you would? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I couldn't actually believe it. So I ended up staying in Minot for, um, when I got back from Arizona in January, I stayed in Minot until... I was waiting for the snow to melt and just never melted. Uh, so I was in Minot until about the first week of April. And when I went back out, uh, I was really surprised with how many birds there were. Um, lots of huns, lots of huns. They seem to winter really well than most upland birds. Way better than pheasants. Yeah. Way better than pheasants. Which pheasant is so tough. You would almost think that they would be able to. You would think, I'll but I, they're not, they're not a covey bird. And so the, those huns seem to do so well because they, they get, I, I, I'm sure you've seen it where they get in their little hun balls like this. Mm -hmm. And then they rotate the ones in the middle, come to the outside edge and the one from the Cutest edge. thing you've ever it's seen. It's the wildest thing. Yeah. But they're, uh, they're, they're really, they handle the winter really well. And sharp tails grew up here with the mammoths. I mean, they've been here forever. Uh, so they have fur all the way down to the tips of their toes. I mean, they're designed for like that winter schminter. You haven't seen 100. what it was like 40 yeah. years ago. I, soft right. Things. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're the, they're like the epitome of, of the, I walked to school six miles through snow uphill both <laughs> yeah, ways kind of birds. Exactly. Uh, so they're, they're fine. I mean, the pheasants, there was the pheasants that surprised me. I was surprised how well the pheasants did. Huh. Um, I talked to a buddy of mine, uh, up by Crosby who has a little feed lot up there. And he said that he felt like he was feeding more pheasants than cows this winter. He said that he'd go out there and dump feed and there'd be a thousand pheasants that would take Ugh. off out of the feed lot. So, I mean, 
that's the the real question mark. We're not going to get our report card until, you know, early August, mid August, mm-hmm. when we start seeing some little birds on the landscape and we start getting out there and running dogs. Yeah. But, uh, it, as of now, the, the cover seems good. The key time period is that early June window when they're on the nest and then hatch. It's the hatch. If, if you don't have big rains yeah. for that window there, yeah. then you can have a big explosion of birds. Sure. That's going to be kind of our key. Yep. Let's, let's hope we don't have rain for just a little sure. bit. Uh, you know, and it's, it's really, it's really more about, and I'm speaking more about Huns here uh, because those are the ones that you and I care about mm-hmm. more so. Uh, but it's more about having long stretches of cold, wet weather like a few days worth because um, with all the upland game birds, the science out there says that they, if they lose their nest, they will renest. Uh, the second clutch is going to be less eggs, but they will renest. However, with huns or pheasants or sharp tails, if they have a chick that survives, that's it. That's, that's all it. they produce. Yep. And so they're, they're really good at You want a total loss if there's going to be any loss. Get them all gone and yeah. we'll start over from scratch. Yeah. But uh, with those huns, Um, you know, they're really good at, at, they have giant clutches, uh, 16, I think the biggest clutch ever, ever documented was 23 eggs or something like that. So if we get really nice, calm weather for like the week that they're hatching Mm -hmm. and and tell those birds can thermoregulate a little bit, we're going to be, it's going to be great. Get out there with your umbrella and just stand over the nest. Oh, I would, if I knew where they were at, (laughs) uh, I got my little puppy, Jesse. She's got a, she's got her little milk. Your, your dog goes and runs around here and finds treats. She has, she knows where all the birds are in the yard. Really? Yeah. And so I've had to start, uh, e-collaring her and making her not go over and check them out because nest initiation has started. Right. Uh, but there's five pairs of huns in my yard. Five pairs? Five pairs. So, oh man. There's right. one in the Caragandas right outside my, my kitchen window. There's one in the Caragandas <laughs> by the driveway. There's three, or uh, there's two over along the east fence, and there's one down in the south. So, uh, how about different parts of the state? Biz- down by Bismarck in the southeast is not going to be good. Uh, they got crushed with snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I've talked to some people uh, down by Bismarck that. I mean, it's not, it's certainly not a total loss or anything like that, but their population took a major hit this last winter. I think you're going to see that as you go into South Dakota too. There are parts that in Western Minnesota that got hit. I'm still hearing from people that are seeing birds, Yeah, but once things started to melt completely and birds were visible, it was more roosters than pheasants, which that's, that gets back to, you know, like I, I talk about this regularly, um, and biologists will typically back this up. Shoot the roosters because you just need one of them to survive. Yeah, to take care of all those hens. hens. Yeah, they'll take because care of ten plus. They will push those hens out of the out of the food, the food in the winter, out of the cover, mm-hmm. the thermals, and they're just you end up with a bunch of roosters that made it through in the spring. But that doesn't help your population that no. much. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't. Yeah. So that's one comment that I've heard from multiple people saw quite a few roosters out there. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like, ah, bummer. I want yeah. to see the hens you want. Maybe their hens are there that sure. are just hiding a little bit better. And that's what I'm, everybody hopes for. But I mean, even if it's, you know, instead of having one rooster and six hens, if it's one rooster to two hens, that's a lot of birds off the landscape. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, but, uh, when I was down at the lake on Saturday, on Sunday, when I was driving down there, I seen one rooster with seven hens. 
Sweet. That's typically a good sign. Yeah. Like that, that's a, uh, first of all, good for him. Second yep. of all, good for us. Well, Tyler, I mentioned the golden egg. Yes. And I'm saying the golden egg because once again, you are in it. You're in the middle of it, in my opinion. And I've talked to a few other people in North Dakota. You lucky SOB. I know it. Because of how the winter played out, you got snow. Your birds wintered okay. Seemed like they did okay. If you were below 94, that's where it felt like things just got walloped. The yeah. snow totals were exponentially higher. Every wizard hit Bismarck. Everyone. Every day. Yeah. Like poor Bismarck. South of 94 yep. was brutal. Yep. North of 94 and west Better. of yeah. Minot, it was like the reports were not that much snow. Right. Temps were okay. Right. And you had a large population of birds yep. that were already going into winter. You yep. talk about the guy in the feedlot up there and having a thousand birds in his feedlot. Those birds hatch a big hatch this year. Mm -hmm. Where's the golden egg? Yeah. Yeah, well, we're going to leave it up to them to find it. Uh, <laughs> we might know where it's at. Yes, you do, uh, you do but, the math. Right. It's not south of 94. No, and and that's going to be a real issue, too, because, I mean, the that New England, Mott, Regent area. Which is traditionally it, pheasant belt in it, North Dakota. It's going to be a little tough down there. And, yeah. the, you know, and it really is what it is. It comes down to the fact that we're kind of paying the bill for uh, for losing all the CRP in the last few years. So I've been talking about it for a long time. I said, it's just a matter of time. If we keep on taking all this thermal cover, whether it's burning the cattail sloughs, taking out tree rows and losing the CRP, North Dakota eventually is going to remind us where we live. And we've had a stretch of like 10 really, really easy winners. Yeah. And this year the bill came due. And those people that have been taking stuff out of CRP and, and, uh, you know, edge to edge farming and t tearing up the cattail sloughs and the dry years and stuff like that, they're going to struggle. It's going to be tough because those birds didn't have any place to get away. And then there's other parts of the state that have a little bit more, uh, a little bit more cover. They're going to do better. And yep. th it's really going to come. It, I think we're going to see a market difference this year. Yeah. And of course we'll get reports once birds are on the ground and hopefully yeah, can be pleasantly surprised. Really Absolutely, if a, yeah. If a couple of hens drop a dozen birds, right, your population looks substantially right. better. In and a hurry. that's one thing I got to give so much credit to the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. They do such a great job of their roadside surveys in August, and they they put out bird numbers. They break it down per per region of the state, uh, mm -hmm. birds per mile, and they'll break down sharp tails, huns, pheasants. Uh, and it'll, Min it, Minnesota's like that too. Right. It's great. Iowa's like that too. You know yep. who doesn't do that? Who? South Dakota. Yeah. Sons of guns. Right. Uh, you know why they don't do it? <laughs> no. Cause they decided when there were some down years that those reports kept people oh, from coming up. For sure. So Tourism. they just want everyone to think it's great and rosy all the time. Yeah. Well, that that backfired a little bit the last couple of years. Definitely. The numbers were really high. Yep. It's like, dude, just tell people what they are and they're coming. Right. Nobody knew how good it was. Right. And they missed out on that opportunity. So if you get, if uh, people subscribe to, if they get emails from the North Dakota Game and Fish Department, usually they come out with that, that report, the end of like, it's usually right around the 1st of September. And it's, I mean, they put out lex surveys for sharp tails in the spring and crowing counts. It gives you a little snapshot, but you'll never really know until you get to the, the, the brood survey study. 
And the number that I always pay attention to is uh, number of birds per brood. That's a good benchmark. That's a nice statistic. So if all of a sudden you're seeing average brood size is three, four, that's not good. Yep. That's bad. If you're seeing average brood size, like we seen last year, it was like 7.8, uh, high sixes, seven, eight. That's a good recruitment. And we're talking about pheasants and, and sharp tails here. Mm-hmm. The one criticism I will give the North Dakota Game and Fish Department is that they still underestimate how many hunts we have. And they generally, in that same report, they will say word for word, in our estimation, the populations are still too low to target. And that is absolutely categorically <laughs> incorrect. And you have seen it. Yeah. We can target yeah. them and we are good at it. Yeah. The other thing I would say too is you get, you don't know until you go. That's what I right. tell people you have to go on because there were underreported numbers around the Midwest last year. Kansas was service. a really good example yes, of that. Yes, exactly. I mean, the, the numbers came in. Well, there was also a bunch of chicks that had late. You know, late hatches. Late hatches second and so hatches. they weren't even in those right. uh, surveys. Right. And so you got a whole other population that came up there too. And we saw when we were hunting, when were we hunting? October ish? October ish. Yeah. Late October. And there was a lot of birds were like, this is, there's yeah. more here than. The best example that I've ever seen of it was in 2017. Everybody knew that we had this historic drought in 2017. And it was to the point where I actually called you and I think you were coming. No, maybe that was a year before. I think we filmed the first episode in 2018, but I called my buddies from Michigan, Craig and those guys. Mm-hmm. And I told them, uh, I was like, the drought this year was absolutely brutal. I don't think it's going to be very good this fall, but is what I didn't take into account is that we had a like starting late July through August and through early September, it rained a lot. And so those second hatches were like the recruitment was exceptional Mm. and we ended up having, it wasn't as good as 2016, but it wasn't nearly as bad as I was anticipating. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Those birds are prolific and they'll keep on trying until they, until they get it to work. I mean, the numbers go down, but that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're, we're approaching an hour here, but we always just talk away. And I think we'll leave it with the last topic. You know, this is kind of a time of the year when people are really thinking about where do they want to go this fall? I've been getting people reaching out randomly saying, you know, I'm planning a hunt here or in Montana or North Dakota or wherever it might be, like what, what ideas might you have or, you know, things to guide people. Maybe I'll phrase it like this. You've been to some pretty awesome places. Yes. You've hunted for almost every upland bird that we have in North America. Almost. We know Huns, you and I, that's, they, they steal our heart. Absolutely. If you had to go on just, you know, you had, Let's say you're from Connecticut and you wanted to hunt the prairie. What kind of bird would you hunt? Where would you go? Well, if I was going to say you're coming from the East Coast um, and you want to go to the prairies, for me, the, the, for a consistent hunt, consistent weather, and fairly consistent numbers, I would go, uh, I'd go chase sharptails. First of all, that's going to give you either sharptails or prairie chickens because that is going to give you the best representative uh, or the best prairie experience in my opinion. Like there's a lot of places you can go hunt pheasants. Let's take them off the table. If you want to go hunt huns, uh, like we said, it's very, it's very doable, but it's 
a touch harder. It's a touch more um, hit or miss sometimes and definitely in some areas. But go to the Fort Pier National Grasslands and chase prairie chickens. Go out to the Little Missouri National Grasslands and chase sharptails. You're going to get to see some incredible scenery. You're going to get to see this landscape that's been there since the woolly mammoths. You're going to get to chase a bird that's native. You're going to uh, something that's very conducive to good dog work. You get to watch your dog work these birds, and you get to like it. it it's as far as prairie hunting goes, I think that is the quintessential, uh, prairie hunt. I mean, you can do, you can shoot pheasants anywhere. You can shoot pheasants on the East coast. I think a common response I give to people, you know, and this is not to slight South Dakota because there's a lot of pheasants and it's a great place to pheasant. Sure. I like the variety that I get when I go into North Dakota Me too. or Montana for example, those are two places that just rank really high up on my list and they're both comparable. Right. You can go after birds, upland birds in, right. in a draw and your dog might point all three species sure. in one walk. Sure. You know, in South Dakota, you're typically going to find pheasants. pheasants, you know, so it's kind of fun to go leave the cattails or a tree row or whatever it might be and go out into different cover and target well, and watch a watch Hungarian a partridge sure and watch walk a uh a, a draw with a bunch of plum thickets and and stuff like that in between two wheat fields in montana or north dakota yes it's six to five and pick them what's coming up every time your dog yes. goes on point i know and I that's mean, the beauty of the yeah. diversity there so that's why i always end up telling people I'm like if you want a great experience yeah then beyond pheasants that i would i would go to north dakota or montana that's kind of been yep. my yep. my response a lot. And of times. the nice and in Montana specifically, I've been going out there every year for the last six, seven years. And one of the things that's really cool about Montana is there's more so than than in North Dakota, more so um, upland game bird species. You can chase blue grouse, rough grouse, sage grouse, sharp tail yep. grouse, yep. spruce grouse in the northwest, uh, huns, pheasants. Like there's seven different species of upland game birds there, and it'll take you to the sagebrush flats to the egg fields to the cattail sloughs to the mountains mm -hmm. like you can you can see so many different yeah, yeah like once it, you get it's, into it's the mountains cool. that's a whole nother category and a whole nother awesome definitely speaking of that let's end it with this what what hunt are you most looking forward to this year beyond besides hunting in your home turf sure so this year, I mean, the only two hunts that I'm going to do out of state this year, I mean, I think I'm going to come to Minnesota and chase some rough grouse, which I'm, I'm always kind of excited about that. Maybe. Uh, I yes. think I'm going to go up to, uh, since Hank Shaw is going to be working up at uh, Pine Ridge, I'm going to go oh. up there up to Pine Ridge. Maybe you and me and, and Hanker go out and, and hunt for a day or hey, two. Hey, what do you like, say? I, I have, I didn't hunt rough grouse last year and I missed it. Like yeah. I, I really only like to hunt rough grouse for about three days. I was going to say, you only can yeah. stand two days being uh, th in trees. Three maybe. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've hunted them here in Minnesota a couple times and, and it's a little bit easier than trying to pound through the thickets in Michigan. Yeah. Like the, uh, I, this is more civilized. Uh, <laughs> But uh, can't trust those Michigan. No, so I'm going to stay in North Dakota. Ubers, sorry, Ubers. Uh, September, October. Uh, I might come over here for a couple of days and chase some rough grouse around, and then I'm going to be in North Dakota all through November until the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then I'm going to go to Idaho, and I'm going to chase Ooh. chuckers and valley quail in Idaho, and then I'm going to work my way south to Arizona. Um, they had good winter rains in Arizona again. Um, 
And if they get a monsoon, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to, I think we're literally going to be, You're gonna be overrun. stepping over top of yeah. quail to get to quail. There's yeah. Be that many quail. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I plan on being down there by about the 10th of December. And this is where things start to get a little bit confusing for me. I, I kind of actually miss late season pheasant hunting just a little bit. So I might end up coming back, go down there and hunt for a week or 10 days, come back, hunt the last weekend of North Dakota or South Dakota or well, South Dakota isn't until end of January now, but the last weekend of pheasants in North Dakota, if the weather's decent, yep. like I, I'm not, I have no problem with the cold. I, I actually want a little bit of, of snow, but if it's going to be, well, the last couple of weeks in North Dakota last year yeah. were almost on Hunnebottom. Almost. I mean, yeah. it was in the same for Minnesota. It was, it was pretty miserable. We still did it. And I, I right. would do it if I had to sure. step with a ladder, but I'm but, not going to leave Arizona. If I have to come up here and hunt in snowshoes, right. I'm, I'm not. Right. Um, but if, if the weather's nice and a lot of, a lot of years, you know, it'll be 15, 20 degrees and you know, maybe there's eight, seven, eight inches of snow on the flat, whatever. I'll come back up and, and I have my birthday is Christmas day and I haven't actually spent my birthday in North Dakota in like six years. <laughs> so I've just been down there by myself yeah, on my birthday, your, which your is great. Walk, uh, yeah. But, uh, I, I might come back and then go back down again in January. Well, I appreciate you swinging through. Yes, sir. Uh, we'll end it right there. Uh, thanks for stepping up and volunteering your time. Yeah. And thanks to all the rest of your chapter members. What's the name of your chapter? The Suris Valley Pheasants Forever Suris chapter. Valley. Gotcha. Yeah. And we hope it continues to grow. And from that, there will be more hunting opportunities for more people. So appreciate that. And uh, with that, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. Mm-hmm.